physics world. This month we lost the brilliant physicist and personality Professor Stephen Hawking. His work on black holes, his writing, his humour and his tireless campaigning for what he believed in will live on in his memory. A life well lived. Welcome to the Physics World Podcast. I'm Andrew Glester. In recent years, the Professor had been known for speaking out about the potential problems of developing artificial intelligence. Here's the great man in his own words from a BBC interview. The primitive forms of artificial intelligence we already have have proved very useful. But I think the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Once humans develop artificial intelligence, it would take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans, who are limited by slow biological evolution, couldn't compete and would be superseded. Professor Hawking's passing came as I was putting the finishing touches to this episode of the Physics World podcast on that very topic. I'd met with former student and now friend of the professor, Nathan Meyervold, PhD. Nathan is the co-founder of Intellectual Ventures, the former chief technology officer at Microsoft and the co-inventor of over 750 patents in the US. He was in the UK to deliver the World Traders Tacitus Lecture and to be given the Freedom of London. I asked him why he'd chosen this opportunity to speak about artificial intelligence. Well, because I think that uh, uh, there's a lot of noise in the channel about AI. Uh, People arguing it's uh, the most dangerous thing in the world, uh, that we need to regulate it. Uh, And although well-meaning, many of those fears, I think, are quite unjustified. Uh, And uh, I'm afraid that real progress will be delayed by people fretting over science fiction scenarios. Okay, so I'm interested in space travel. Mm -hmm. If I say Mars is a planet probably almost entirely inhabited by robots, then that sounds kind of sci-fi and scary, but it's actually true that those (laughs) robots are explorers and science instruments. So if you know what the science looks like and you talk about it in the right way, then it becomes less scary and more exciting. Yes. So what does artificial intelligence look like now, and what do you want it to look like in the future? Well, I think artificial intelligence now is uh, sort of like a child prodigy. It's got lots of potential, but isn't actually doing anything useful at the moment. I mean, you, you, you might go to a concert that a child musical prodigy puts on, but more often you'll go to a concert that adults are doing. Uh, and... Uh, the applications of AI today uh, are rather modest if you say, what is the stuff that's truly AI, that's truly being uh, done today commercially? If you look towards the future, there's lots of interesting potential. Uh, And that potential uh, is what excites everyone. Uh, But you have to remember that the self-driving car market is a $0 billion market, um, at least if you're selling the cars. Yeah. Selling the companies is a different story. Yeah. I'd met Dr. Meyerwald at the Guildhall in London, 
In some ways, it felt like stepping back in time to discuss the future. Huge courtyards and rooms adorned with many flags and grand wooden panelled corridors. It was difficult not to think of Hogwarts and the public schools of the real world. We were there for a breakfast meeting, and it was a guest list filled with professors, lords, knights of the realm, the former commander of the Joint Forces Command, members of the Prime Minister's Council for Science and Technology, the President of the Royal Society, and Prue Leith, famous as a judge on Bake Off, because Nathan is synonymous with the word polymath. I've just written the world's largest book on bread, um, 2,642 pages. Um, and really big pages, too. <laughs> uh, I'm sometimes asked, why did I write a six-volume book on bread? And I always say, because I had to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, we actually cut almost 400 pages <laughs> to, to fit in, in what we have. Uh, uh, I also do research in asteroids. Um, I, in, uh, I do research on dinosaurs and all sorts of other things. At a very long table set by windows overlooking a London cityscape beyond the Guildhall's impressive courtyard, we settled in for breakfast and to hear what Nathan had to say. Nathan, the floor is yours. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, today I'll be talking about uh, artificial intelligence, uh, which I think has incredible potential. One example, my company has developed a... um, a diagnostic test for uh, cervical cancer, uh, which is much less invasive than the normal tests. Uh, it uses a machine learning uh, algorithm to do the actual diagnosis, and it's much better than a human. In fact, it actually beats a bunch of the cellular tests. And uh, in the developed world, that will be interesting, but in the developing world, that could actually save the lives of millions of women. Uh, so that's an example of, of a positive uh, element to AI. Um, but of course, <laughs> it, there's a funny thing in society that whenever anything becomes uh, positive and large, everyone wants to complain about it. That's almost always overdrawn. Uh, the notion that adoption of a new technology will cause mass unemployment and societal crises has been predicted hundreds of times throughout history. and it's never once been true. And, and the fundamental reason for that is two, twofold. Uh, the first is the people predicting doom and gloom will focus on one particular aspect, they, this one scenario they think is terrible, without considering what happens to the system as a whole, uh, which almost always makes up for it. Um, in fact, to bet against us adapting to this is to bet against human nature. Um, so uh, I, I'm very optimistic. Uh, uh, the, the craziest example are people who say that artificial intelligence threatens our very existence. Uh, and I, I view that as less credible than the notion that the Night King and his army of white walkers are going to come and <laughs> uh, take us all. It, it just... Uh, if you assume up front that AI has godlike powers and it hates us, well, yes, then the rest of it follows, but there's no reason to make those assumptions. Um, you make those assumptions in Game of Thrones um, or in The Lord of the Rings because you need a big bad villain. <laughs> um, 
so anyway, I, I'm very optimistic about the long-term prospects for AI, but uh, it won't happen instantly. It won't happen overnight. And a good analogy for this is mathematics. Uh, computers can add up numbers faster than any of us can. Billions of times faster than any of us can. You might think, okay, that means math is a solved problem. Well, no, it turns out math is not just arithmetic. There are many problems in mathematics and in physics. Mathematical problems come up in physics and the natural world. They're so complicated, we, we can't solve them even with any amount of, of today's computers. So what we've discovered with math is, yes, yeah, some things quickly become computerized. Other things maybe never will. And in the middle, there's a whole gradation. I think that's what will happen with AI. Uh, we'll find things like this diagnosis of cervical cancer where uh, the computer can do it better than a human and certainly much faster and cheaper and a variety of other uh, characteristics. And there'll be other things that take a very long time. Um, and Maybe never, we don't know. So uh, anyway, I, I, I'm an optimist, uh, but at the same time, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I don't... Uh, I think those that draw pessimistic conclusions uh, just haven't you know, done their job right in, in projecting what the future will be. The ensuing discussion began with people voicing some concerns, noticeably fears about global giant tech companies. The nature of technology uh, is such that it frequently becomes a winner-take-most market. And once upon a time, we at Microsoft were the winner that took most. Um, and people said, oh, that'll never change. Of course, it, it did change over time. Um, uh, and Microsoft is an important company, but it wasn't, it didn't have the predominant uh, role that it once did. G Google's day will set, and so will Facebook's. I'm certain of that, that there will be people who have new ideas. And this is nothing negative about those companies. I mean, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean they're going to go away. Uh, but look at Yahoo. Yahoo was one of the key companies of the internet, and it isn't anymore. It's, it's still a company. It's still got well, it's been sold into pieces, and but much of the site is still present, just not in the form it, it once was. Um, you know, must we watch Google like a hawk? Yeah. Of course. Um, so I, I'm not suggesting that the, because I am optimistic about AI in the long run that we shouldn't be concerned about uh, people at Google or Facebook uh, being able to put the fix in or, you know, r the Russians buying ads there that <laughs> or, or whatever it is. Uh, uh, of course we should be concerned about all of that. Um, I regard that as a classic human governance problem. Uh, it, you know, at various points in time, uh, the India was effectively owned by the East India Company. Uh, there were similar con uh, companies that uh, uh, settled North America. Um, they were companies, but at the same time, they acted like governments. <laughs> and uh, when you have a someone who, the people who are in that much control, of course you should be concerned about it. And they had as much control over their purview as perhaps Google has now over all of us. Um, 
So of course you should be concerned about that. I agree. Um, but I, I, I want to I make it a distinction between the, uh, the technology versus how people use that technology. Uh, the notion that there's a small number of dominant companies has come up over and over and over again in human history. And we have learned a lot about how to deal with it. Not, not everything, because the technology does change. That means government and policy and the public have to be aware of new things. So I don't want to say it's, it's easy. Um, I, I think the issue is there is to regulate uh, and, and uh, watch the policy implications, not the actual technology. It's not a question of, oh, should we worry about the code inside Google? No, you should worry about if they're putting the fix in on elections. That, that, and that's a human decision. <laughs> Another concern raised was that technology can lead to us missing important issues. The accusation was made that the Challenger shuttle disaster was presented as a possible scenario prior to launch, but that it was missed due to it being lost in the presentation as just another point on the PowerPoint slides. You can blame PowerPoint for a lot of things, including um, many of my most nervous moments in the last 30 years were when PowerPoint was failing me up and I had lots of people in the audience. Um, I don't think you can blame PowerPoint for the challenger <laughs> uh, issue because it, humans make mistakes. And... Uh, of course, we, we use these means of communicating with each other. That doesn't mean that we necessarily do it right, but that's because we have human failings. And I think for every example you have where we get too obsessed with the fonts or the animations in PowerPoint and we miss the message, you can find other examples where... PowerPoint or any other of the, the tools actually have really helped. With the talk of Google and artificial intelligence, a question was raised about privacy concerns. I've got an American Express card here. And it, if I said to people on the street, imagine that there was this company that knew everything I spent at the moment and exactly what I spent it on. And they could decide if I got to spend it or not. <laughs> Now, it's kind of scary, but they also let me spend money I don't have, which is really cool. And so we're all like, mm, okay, okay. You know, it's much better than carrying big wads of cash. In 2015, Professor Stephen Hawking's name was among the signatures on an open letter calling for research priorities for robust and beneficial artificial intelligence. The argument being that work on artificial intelligence progressing as it is, research needs to focus on how that artificial intelligence can benefit society. Back at the breakfast, with people around the table whose roles focus on military concerns, the conversation turned to concerns about, and I quote, rogue regimes and criminal gangs getting hold of the technology. Of course. Of course there are, but it, for the same reason that there's misuse of almost everything by those regimes. You know, you could say, is there going to be misuse of uh, clubs and a misuse of police forces uh, by bad regimes? Yes, <laughs> there are. Uh, you know, when you have a very broad technology uh, it, and you look at society, it's like looking in a mirror and... It, it shows us our warts as well as our good features. Um, it, 
whenever there is a new technology, one of the first things people figure out is, can we use it for porn? <laughs> okay, I, I was just, as part of my trip to Naples for pizza, uh, I, I went to Pompeii, and boy, they, <laughs> they, they certainly, there's a whole room in the uh, uh, Naples Archaeological Museum that's full of the uh, Roman porn. Uh, people use things for crime. Uh, you know, the hacking is a huge problem. Uh, and uh, now, mostly it's a huge problem for the same fundamental reason that crime in the real world is a problem. Uh, a huge number of burglaries are because people don't lock their doors or they leave a window open or something else. Uh, a huge amount of hacking is that people have their password is 1234. Um, if that's any of you, you <laughs> go home and change it. Back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it, as we put more and more important things into computing, the fact that hackers can discover them is there just in the same way as if we leave cash visible on the front seat of our car uh, and uh, park it in, in some neighborhoods, uh, it's going to get broken into. Um, now, Prue has promised us a quick humorous I, I, interview. I, I don't know. I just wanted to say that, just to cheer you up, when <laughs> Bake Off is airing, the porn viewing on computers drops dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> we need some old technology, like cooking. <laughs> well, in particular, you kind of want to eat three times a day. And <laughs> Clearly, I wanted to know what role AI can have for physics. Physics is about... Uh, trying to uh, understand the laws of nature. We understand those laws uh, primarily through the language of mathematics. And the goal is to make predictions about how the world actually works. Now, so far, AI is not anywhere close to the state of being able to propose new theories. We, we could imagine one day it might, but getting an AI that's as smart as Stephen Hawking or Ed Witten is, you know... <laughs> quite non-trivial, like uh, we, we have no idea how to do that. And in fact, the whole enterprise of physics is interesting in that uh, the notion that uh, we primates <laughs> could figure out what the laws of the universe are um, is an amazingly audacious thing, and yet remarkably early, we did. I mean, the Principia <laughs> is... Uh, from the 1600s, uh, Galileo earlier than that, uh, we did an amazing job of conceptualizing how the world worked and putting it in this mathematical uh, notation. Now, it, at the moment, AI isn't a full-class participant in that. Uh, there are physics experiments uh, that use AI for various things, um, uh, at, uh, well, one thing I have to point out up front is that we're at, uh, AI comes in cycles of hype. And we're at the moment in a very high cycle of hype. And when you're in the high hype cycle, you tend to ascribe any interesting software to AI, no matter what it is. Um, but uh, if you looked at, um, at CERN and the Large Hadron Collider, they have this problem 
that uh, the events are happening in the detectors so incredibly fast and so incredibly many of them that they can't store them all. So uh, they have to have a set of routines that will decide which events are worth storing at all. Uh, That kind of problem is one that uh, going forward AI could potentially uh, be useful for. Um, Lots of other tasks involving uh, managing experimental data I think AI could be very useful for. Um, The notion of finding things which don't match a pattern, that's relatively straightforward uh, for AI, and uh, I I think we'll we'll get there. Um, That said, I I, I think uh, it'll be a long time before we call software a a true colleague. (laughs) After our conversation, Nathan was on his way to meet his old friend Stephen Hawking. And given their, in some ways, differing views, I asked him whether they'd be talking about AI. This comes into how you conceptualize the problem. If the given for the problem is that artificial intelligence means machines with godlike power, uh, and that those machines may bear a grudge against us, well, sure, that's bad. And... Uh, I, I think that is the essence of um, of what uh, Stevens comments, and, and there's a variety of other uh, famous people who've made comments like that. Well, yes, if you start with that given, of course that's not a good thing. Um, it's very unclear that either one of the, I mean, first of all, the godlike powers, God, if only that were true. Yeah. Okay, we're 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 so far from godlike powers that. That part is uh, is kind of absurd, uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, there's no. It's not obvious to me that these things should hate us, yeah. and uh, the process where we go from today's um, very pedestrian aspects of AI, like being able to classify cats in videos or or playing chess or Go, uh, between there and godlike powers we got a long time to figure out how to make sure they don't hate us. I can only imagine that there was a huge amount of laughter in that meeting between Nathan Meyerwald and Professor Stephen Hawking. In an article posted on March the 15th on Bloomberg.com, Nathan shares some of his memories of the Stephen Hawking that he knew. He writes, I was a postdoctoral researcher with Stephen in 1983. The work I did with him focused on trying to solve fundamental questions. What are space and time? Where does the universe come from? The work was fascinating, and while my later career took me far afield from these basic questions, the spirit of that inquiry stayed with me. The entire enterprise of fundamental physics is audacious in its ambition. That we can make any headway at all on such puzzles is surprising. Yet Stephen was utterly undaunted by the challenge. In his presence, I could dare to think not only that it might be possible, but that I might even contribute to it in some way. Stephen's generosity of spirit, expressed frequently and in many ways, endeared Stephen to everybody who worked with him. All of us who were lucky enough to have Stephen in our lives will miss him deeply. Back at the Guildhall, the question of general AI was raised. Does Nathan think that we'll ever see artificial intelligence 
like the replicants in Blade Runner or HAL in 2001, A Space Odyssey? I think that the brain is a kind of machine. Um, I think the way we, we think is not something mystical that's unique to us. And the, the simple proof of, or not proof, but the argument I would put forward is dogs are really smart. Okay, uh, You can teach them a bunch of commands. You can do all these other things. Dogs are way smarter than computers. So you can get very wrapped up in the humanity of it all and say, well, will a machine ever replace me? It's kind of hard to make that argument about a German shepherd, okay? <laughs> that, that, that there's something mystical and spiritual going on inside the dog. So I think that the brains of all higher organisms are machines. I think we'll eventually figure them out, um, and that's one path. Currently, we don't really don't have much of a clue, or only a few clues. A, a different way is to use different technological approaches to it. So I think we will. I think it takes somewhere between three and five miracles. And by miracles, I mean a conceptual breakthrough. DNA. Uh, the notion that there was an information molecule that stored all of this information was a huge breakthrough to biology to discover it. We've got three to five of those <laughs> coming up. And they could come up tomorrow, or we could be waiting for another Einstein or Newton. We don't know. Okay. And, and by the way, if we start with dogs, if we start with dogs and we evolve forward, we'll be fine. They love us. <laughs> I mean, they, they've noticed all this time we don't give them the best food. <laughs> they still love us. I suppose that sort of evolution needs a benign creator to guide it in the right direction. Away from these lofty ideas of robots of the future, there remained a couple of real-world concerns for today. Will developments in AI further increase the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in our societies? Okay, well, those are two interesting issues. Um, uh, my speech tonight, I'm going to quote uh, Robert uh, Lucas, who's a Nobel Prize-winning economist who studied the Industrial Revolution, and he actually draws the opposite conclusion about distribution of income uh, for the actual workers. Uh, for him, what distinguished the Industrial Revolution was in fact that the living conditions and the growth uh, of uh, a better life, if you will, for the workers involved steadily increased for 50 years. Now, there may have been a few industrialists who also got wealthy. Um, I think that was actually more upsetting to the British aristocracy because all of a sudden there were these you know, mere factory owners that, that were buying stately homes <coughs> or building stately homes. So it, the people who had not industrialized were the ones who were uh, – where there was a big gap. That's true. Um, Marx, in fact, got this all wrong. He thought that it was the working conditions in factories that would cause um, uh, socialist revolutions, and that never happened. It was always agrarian societies – that had peasants oppressed by an aristocracy. They were the ones that went communist. Someday economics is actually going to be a science. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and then after it's a science, it can become an engineering discipline. 
Um, engineering is where we use the principles of science to do useful things and build structures and, and, and so forth. Um, and all those big buildings over there are so nice and tall because we figured out what makes buildings fall down. That was science. <laughs> then we figured out how to make buildings that don't. That was engineering. And uh, ultimately, we ought to be able to figure uh, out uh, this for economies. It's a very difficult uh, area. Um, I'll note that uh, John Maynard Keynes, who was, had a huge impact on <laughs> economics, uh, made one prediction that was really wrong. He, he thought that by the 20th century, we'd have a 15-hour work week. And uh, in Silicon Valley, you have a 15-hour work day. <laughs> so, and that's seven days a week. It was a great pleasure to meet Nathan Myhold, and I hope that his thoughts have inspired some of your own. Do let us know what you think on the new Physics World website, physicsworld.com, or by tweeting us at physicsworld. Among these conversations, I couldn't help but be reminded of the classic 80s science fiction film, War Games. I'll leave the final word to Nathan. Anyone who connects uh, an automatic algorithm up to nuclear weapons is doing a stupid thing. <laughs> okay? <laughs> the, <laughs> it, <laughs> You, you know, in my business, when you have a system crash, <laughs> it's okay, because you reboot the computer. We can't reboot Earth. So <laughs> I, I really wouldn't give AIs uh, control over nuclear weapons. Physics World.